Good morning. I want to begin by talking about a, uh, a short story, a very short story by Oscar Wilde. It is so short, um, it's a page. It's a page long. You can read it during a commercial. It's called The Doer of Good. The Doer of Good came into the village and he saw a man living a dissolute life, uh, drinking too much, gambling too much. And the doer of good walked up to him and said, Why do you live this way? And the man replied, I was a leper, and you healed me. How else should I live? The doer of good then went on and walked down another street and saw a man who was chasing after a woman and harassing her with the intention of abusing her. And he said to the man, Why are you behaving this way? And the man said, I was blind, and you gave me my sight. What else should I look at, and what else should I lust after? The doer of good continued on his way and came across a man who was sitting on a stone, weeping. And the doer of good said, Why do you weep? And the man said, You raised me from the dead. How else can I live? If you ask God for a miracle, and God says, Yes, I'll do it. How will you live the rest of your life? If we ask God for a miracle to score a touchdown, to hit a home run, to pass a test, to get a job, to be healed, to have a safe journey, to be saved from some kind of disaster, to meet the right person, how would we live if God performed that miracle? Would we, perform, uh, would we respond with obligation? Would we feel like we have to repay God? Would we feel like we had to even the score so we wouldn't be in God's debt anymore? Would we um, be transformed by it? Would we forget about it? Would we ignore it? This is the issue for the psalmist in Psalm 116. God has heard my voice and has heard my supplication. I have been saved from the snares of death that encompassed me, the pangs of shoal that held me, and I suffered distress and anguish, and God has saved me. I think it's so graphic how the, how the psalmist describes the plight she was in, this constriction, this tightness. The, the pangs encompassed me. They held me. It is, it's like being constricted by a boa constrictor. And often when we face these crises of spirituality or or in our mental health or in our religious health, 
we do feel this constriction, this tightening of our chest. So what the psalmist is describing is very realistic. If God gave this person new life, how will they live as a resurrected person? Will they be transformed? So how does the psalmist respond? Begins by saying, I love the Lord because the Lord has heard my voice and answered my supplications. That's what it says in translation. That is not what it says in Hebrew. And it's fascinating that it doesn't say that in Hebrew, but we translate it, I love the Lord because the Lord has saved me. What it says in Hebrew is, I love because the Lord has saved me. There's no direct object in Hebrew in this passage. I love because the Lord has saved me. Now, it, it makes sense in a quid pro quo world to say, I love the Lord because the Lord saved me. Makes sense. I love Susan because Susan is kind to me. I love Joe because Joe is generous with me. But the psalmist says, I love because the Lord has saved me. It's... it's it's like saying, I love Susan because the Lord has saved me. I love Bob because the Lord has saved me. I love Beth because the Lord has saved me. That the salvation that God gives enables us to love others and maybe love everyone. That love becomes, um, in a sense, indiscriminate that we become loving persons, and that we are transformed by God's love to be loving. It's almost, I, I'm saved, therefore I love. Susan likes to tell me that if somebody is truly in love, they share that love with others. That love does not become exclusive. So it's not, I love the Lord and nobody else. It's, I love, and therefore, I am loving. Now, it says uh, later in this psalm, Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the faithful. The psalmist, I think, experiences as part of her salvation that she is seen as precious by the Lord. That God sees her as a precious person. And what a wonderful thing. I mean, that does save us when we are seen as precious. This week, um, uh, I've had, I've talked with several of our neighbors. A, a homeless couple has been living on the porch outside the, um, the parlor door. 
And uh, they've been living there for quite a while. Um, Obviously, they're homeless. It's hard to stay in place when you have no place to stay. And uh, since we do not have people coming in and out of our building, I have let them stay on that porch. It's protected from the wind. It's protected from the rain. And it is a safe place to stay. A neighbor this past week saw them sleeping there, and it was a cold night. It dropped to freezing. And the neighbor called me, called the church, and uh, talked to me and said, my heart went out to this couple. Is there anything my husband and I can do to help them? And I said, well, they'd like a blanket. And she said, um, can I take over a comforter? And I said, sure, sure. And she said, well, I'm trying to stay very seriously quarantined here. And I said, well, when they leave, just come over and put it on the porch and, and, and go away, which is what they did. And they really left a nice comforter. And she, she also made two uh, loaves of homemade bread. In the conversation, she said to me, could they use any money? And I said, I'm not aware of that. And she said, well, if they need anything more, let us know and we'll write a check and uh, we'll run it through the church. I said, well, thank you. The next day I I talked to John, the homeless person, and he he said that if they had a tent, they could... um, they could move on and have a place of their own, which is what they wanted. And uh, I called around the church and and asked for people who I thought were campers if they had a spare tent. Uh, No luck. um, So I called the family back, the neighbors, and I said, um, yeah, we have need for a tent. Would you be interested? And they said yes. And that afternoon, they had slipped a check through the um, mail slot, and more than paid, more than paid for a new tent. When I told John and Kelly that this neighbor had bought a tent, you could see how they felt precious, that their cries had been heard. And their cries had been heard by a neighbor who loved indiscriminately, who was her nature to love and to share. How do I respond to the Lord? I love. The second thing the psalmist does is share that experience verbally. I will make a public oath I will tell people about what the Lord has done. You know, sometimes when we have an experience that is so good and so powerful in our lives, we can't help but share it. We see a movie, and we have to tell people about it. We read a book, and we have to tell people about it. We want them to have the experience that we had. We want to share that goodness with them. And that's what the psalmist is doing. How do I respond to God's love? I share it with others. It's one beggar telling another where they found the bread. 
We share it with others. And, 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 and another reason we share it is um, it kind of holds our feet to the fire. If, if I talk about God's love in my life, I should show love. If, if I have a tattoo of a cross or jewelry of a cross or a bumper sticker that, explain, that expresses my faith, I need to live up to that. I need to live up to that. And also talking about the love of God publicly reminds us that God does love us, that we are precious in God's sight. Sometimes it's just too easy to forget and ignore that. The third thing that the psalmist does in response is say, um, I will give a thanksgiving sacrifice. There's a difference between sacrifice and investment. Investment says, I will go without something in the short run so that I can reap a bigger harvest in the long run. But it's, it's about how it will benefit me. I will put some of my pay aside and invest it so I can reap a bigger harvest in the end. A sacrifice is going without something so that the other person gets the blessing, that the other person reaps the harvest. And the psalmist says, it's a thanksgiving sacrifice that we give to the other person in thanksgiving. It's not an obligation. We don't begrudge it. What we're doing is giving what we've been giving. And we become a servant. And that's what the psalmist says. I will become a servant. And that's what Mary's witness was about. She becomes a servant. In the military, she becomes a servant at King Avenue Church. So response to God's hearing our supplication to God, saving us from the pangs of death, God's um, freeing us from that constriction that binds us emotionally, spiritually, and, or physically, we respond with love, with service, and with praise. So my question is, what if we haven't um, experienced that dramatic salvation what if we've never been on the verge of death and had God save us? What if we've never been homeless and have God save us? What if we've never been out of work and have God save us? What if we've never faced a crisis? Susan and I have been watching the Hulu series Little Fires Everywhere, which is really good. It's better than the book. Um, there's a character. It's about a family two families in Shaker Heights, Ohio, and one family is very, very 
upper class. And their daughter is applying to Yale. She's a high school senior. She has to write an essay uh, on her application for um, describe a hardship you've endured and how you overcame it. <laughs> she can't think of a hardship. She has no hardship she can write about. And she, she can't complete her Yale application because she has not had an experience of hardship. Um, finally, she steals the story from a, from a, a poorer classmate and turns in another girl's story uh, for her application. What happens, how does a person respond to God if they've never had a hardship? How do we talk about God's love if we've never experienced that distress? (laughs) Well, maybe we talk about God's love because we've never had that hardship, because we've never had that distress. Maybe we praise God for the blessings, in a sense, of our boring life, of our life that has been tranquil. Maybe we, we give thanks for that and we respond to God's love in our lives because we've been blessed. Faith is the grateful response to what God has done in our lives. God saved me. Therefore, I love. God blessed me. Therefore, I love. God has protected me. Therefore, I love. God has claimed me as precious. Therefore, I love. And whom do I love? I love God. I love my friends. I love my enemies. I love myself. So the doer of good comes to our street and sees us and says, why do you behave this way? And we respond, I love because you blessed me. May it be so.